behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. And wow, wow, we wow, we are back here with episode 41. Episode 41. And done. We're closing the deal. You'll see what we mean by that later on today. 41 and we're done. Done. No more talking. We're not done with the podcast, though. (laughs) I know. We will keep going through this pandemic in America. We are still here for you. Okay, so you guys know where to find us. You can find us on the Apple podcast. You can find us on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Go ahead. If you are listening on Apple, leave us a five-star review because we eat that shit up. You know we're all about that positive reinforcement. We look at that every night before bed, and that's how we have sound sleep, if that's even a thing. Um, So please leave us a five-star review. Go follow us on Instagram, at Behavior Bitches Podcast, on Facebook, at Behavior Bitches Podcast, or our website, behaviorbitches.com. Reach out to us. I promise we're really friendly. Duh. Okay, so... Without right. further ado, what's our review of the day, Case? Do you have it? Oh, yeah, girl. I'm on it, always. Just, like, pumped up over here, <laughs> reeling off Orange Theory, burned 751 calories, 54 splat points. Anyone else there doing it? <laughs> she's literally been, like, dropping the fact that she went to Orange Theory today. Like, we get it. You went to Orange Theory. <laughs> Everyone, Casey went to Orange Theory. Please congratulate her on Instagram. Please. I would, uh, I would eat that up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Guys, I'm telling you, it's something – it's so hard to get there, but once I'm there – I leave and I'm like, I got ideas flowing out of the brain. I like text Liat all this shit that I want to do. And I'm so, it's like motivating. But anyways, our review of the day, let's not drag on here. It's from Rebecca Rail. Love the bitches. Five stars. Duh. I have been studying for the board since May 2019-ish after graduating. And it was getting so hard to still have the same passion for the field. After finding out about the bitches on an ABA site on Facebook, I decided I would sign up to listen to a podcast. I wish I would have heard about them sooner, but so glad I can go back on podcasts. They are real life, and I love the way they tie behavior analysis into everyday life, which I knew was something we do every day, but they make it so as not to become satiated with a behavior analysis. I am now hooked like a Netflix series. Thank you, bitches. Yeah, duh. Thank you so much for leaving that for us. Loving, loving, loving it. And I'm going to dedicate this episode to you, Rebecca, because this episode is going to be for all the powerful bitches out there and anyone who think wants to think of bitch as a negative thing don't worry i will operationally define it for you in a second but our guest today we are so excited and scared to bring on she is a little scary but in a good way okay so our guest today her name is zabine mirza she is the head of the north american division of the schraner negotiation institute and brings 12 years of business management, corporate strategy, and new venture development experience. A native New Yorker, born and raised in Brooklyn, Zabine spent the last eight years in Dubai managing her own innovation advisory firm, where she was innovation advisor to the prime minister of Dubai. Wait, what? Jinx, oh my God. Oh, we are sisters. (laughs) Zabine is trained and certified over... 1,500 executives in marketing, human resource management, business organization, and business communications through the University of Cambridge Advanced Business Diploma. She is a frequent lecturer at ETH Zurich in Switzerland, which that might need to be on hold right now with the virus since there's no traveling to Europe, but that's besides the point, and a mentor at the City University of New York Hub for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Zabine, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Liat. And thank you, Casey. And Casey, first of all, congratulations on making it to Orange Theory this morning. Thank you for that reinforcement. Much needed. (laughs) Everyone better know. Casey went to Orange Theory. Announce, 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 (laughs) alert. (laughs) We're impressed. Now, we are so excited to have you on. Um, We talked to Zabine earlier in the week. Um, had a really fiery conversation, knew she was perfect for the podcast. Um, she's doing a ton of great things. She is like out of our leagues a hundred and million times. So we're really, really, really grateful to have her on here. Um, and I think what Liat wants to do first is operationally define being a badass bitch. Cause that's what she is. 
So we spoke to Sabine on the phone that day and, you know, I just, I know I always mention Scott Dilemma, but who we first did our hostage negotiation, negotiation episode on. And once he reached out, he was like, here's a list of people and gave me lists of like all these people and like a little description. Like this chick is just a badass bitch. You got to talk to her. <laughs> so I'm like, so I reach out and I'm like, Hey, would you be willing to talk to me? She's like, well, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, I, can we just like have a conversation? So we pick up the phone. I mean, where are your clear target behaviors and goals, Leah? I know, I know. And I'm like, I'm like, I hear you're, I hear you're pretty cool. Anyways, Zabine, when you came on the phone from the first instance, you're like, okay, this is a badass bitch. This is what I'm talking about. And I think this episode is good because anyone who had a problem with our title of being behavior bitches, like, why are we demeaning females, calling ourselves bitches? Well, listen, bitch is empowering. And let me give you guys, because this is behavior, an operational definition of being a badass bitch, according to the very reputable website of Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> very evidence-based right here. <laughs> a badass bitch is a female who will not take any bullshit from anyone. We probably could further operationally define that, but we will. Um, a badass bitch is a woman who is strong, smart, and funny. If a badass bitch encounters someone who is talking slick out the mouth, she will put them in the play in their place. Ooh, I could definitely see this. Badass <laughs> bitches do not give a fuck who you are. They will fix you up. For example, other girls might say, you see that girl right there? She's a badass bitch. So you don't mess with her. She will put you in your place. Watch out. And that is our guest today, Zabine. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. And I'm so thrilled to be here. I think the work that you guys are amazing. I think your podcast name is amazing. And I think that anyone that is a bitch, badass, or otherwise, to certainly embrace it and celebrate it because it is, it is a badge of honor. Yes, I love that. Yeah, you're Definitely. powerful. If you guys are listening, which and clearly you are because you listen to every episode, I was just YouTube her, look at her shit, go Google her. We'll put um, in the show notes. We'll put yeah, in the show notes. We'll put everything. There's so much stuff we're going to talk to her about. I, I know I want to let you know kind of what we're going to cover today. So there's some behavior principles that we're going to tie in as always. Um, we're going to talk about like identifying target behavior, setting clear goals, when to deliver the demand, um, establishing operations for building relationships, pairing, reinforcement, de-escalation, um, when uh, high P, low P, there's so many things. But I will say that when we first talked to Zabine, this is like what I took away from her. We asked her what she does. She said, and we'll get well, it. Her. Ask her. Why don't we ask her? Zabine, <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay. Because I think <laughs> better than us saying it. We, we could just take everything we spoke to her about and she could just shut up for the whole episode. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Zabine, okay. What do you do all day working for the Schraner Institute of Negotiation? Negotiation Institute, I'm sorry. What do you do all day? So do you want me to give you the, the party line or do you want me to tell you what I told you or, or remind you what I told you when you guys asked me the first time? Well, tell both. us both. Yeah. So... So when, when Liat and Casey asked me the first time, they said, you know, you guys were like, what do you guys do? What do you do to be in on a, on a daily basis? And uh, I was a little tongue in cheek about it. But I said, you know, basically, I spend my days yelling at people and putting out dumpster fires, um, <laughs> which, uh, which, which is what it feels like most days. But, um, but, but in truth, at the Schreiner Negotiation Institute, I am managing director of the Americas and Global Markets. And my job is really about making sure that our clients, our partners, um, our faculty, and everybody that's in our global negotiation community um, is really, um, you know, approaching their negotiations um, and, and, nego and, and negotiating um, in the most efficient and the most effective way. So I am part therapist, part broker, part sales, part mother, um, part disciplinarian. Um, I wear a lot of hats, but it's an amazing, amazing role. And the work we do is incredibly rewarding. Love it. Awesome. So, Zabine, tell us how you got into this role. I mean, 
just like the prime minister of Dubai, you tell us about you and like where you started and how you came up through the ranks and how you became this badass bee. Yeah. So, so my life is just, sometimes I look back and I, and, and when I look back on my life, the first thing I think in my head is how am I still alive? How did I survive everything? How am I here? How did I not get killed or be killed by a serial killer somewhere in some desert ditch somewhere? Um, but my life has certainly been a series of adventures. So, you know, as, as Liat mentioned, I grew up in Brooklyn, born and raised three generations, have to mention because it's, it's, it's real pride uh, in these parts, um, not a transplant. Um, and I started my career in investment banking, right? And I joined a big bank that I won't mention, and I was there for many years. And I was, you know, I was there when I first joined. I was an intern, right? And for those of you that are familiar with what the job description of an intern at an investment bank on Wall Street is, it's basically being someone's are, bitch, but not being yes. a bitch, like a behavior bitch. You were like no. someone's, didn't you say yeah. you were the bitch's bitch? I was not even someone's bitch. I was that person's bitch's bitch. So you are like <laughs> the lowest rung of the ladder and you have to really claw yourself up, you know? And I was in an intake that year. I remember of, of my intern year, there was something like, I think 25 to 30 people. I was the only woman. I was the only person of color. And at that time I was the youngest person. Um, and I said, you know, I don't care what I have to do, how demeaned I have to be. I don't care what they throw at me. I will not wash out just through sheer force of will and stubbornness. Um, and of course, at the end of the first year out of, I think it was 25 or 30 people, there's only five people left and I was one of them. Um, and, um, that kind of really taught me grit and determination and not taking shit from people and really just doing whatever it took, despite any obstacle to prove yourself. Um, and that's something that I really, um, that's something that I really, I, I internalize and I, I utilize my entire life, you know, and we can talk about it later. And I don't know if you want to touch upon it later, but, you know, also just the challenges of being a woman and then being a person of color in, in any industry, but on Wall Street. And then I moved from investment banking to management consulting. I was there for many years. Um, and then I was at the UN and around the time of the financial crisis, you know, um, some of my clients were like, well, Sabine, I don't know what you're doing there in the city, but there isn't really much going on. Everyone's shut down. All the banks have, have failed and collapsed. Do you want to come out to the Middle East um, for a one-year tour? And I said, sure, why not? Because you're young and you think you're immortal and invincible and nothing can touch you. So I come out to the Middle East. And that year was the year of the Arab Spring. So if you guys remember, you know, regimes all across countries in, in the Middle East were being toppled. Um, and I was in Yemen. I was in Jordan. I was in Egypt during the, the, the revolution in Egypt, the one that you guys saw on CNN where President Hosni Mubarak, who was like, five decades in office, was forcibly removed. I had to be evacuated by the American embassy. I mean, there's like a whole situation that, that, that in itself is, is insane, but um, I was evacuated to Dubai and um, I actually had PTSD for many, many, many months um, following my, my, my experiences in, in Cairo. And it was, it was quite a long road to recovery. But when I was there, the government reached out and said, hey, you have a really unique set of skills and would you be interested in supporting some of the projects that we're doing at the PMO, the prime minister office? And I said, yeah, I guess not. I came from the Middle East. I might as well hang out. I have a few more months left in the time that I had planned to be there. And uh, lo and behold, one year had turned into nine years um, in the Middle East in Dubai, during which time I successfully had also launched my own firm. I was actually able to then sell my firm to a large conglomerate before I moved back to New York. So um, I, I went to Dubai single, traumatized, um, young, naive, um, and I left Dubai married, children, a lot more world weary and a lot more um, experienced in, in some of the challenges and, and, and some of the, the more worldly 
uh, obstacles that we face in the business world. I appreciate your transparency there. That was very, um, <laughs> you know, it just, yeah, like the things that you've gone through, the the accomplishments, the feats that you have um, come to have, it's insane to me. <laughs> and you're so great. Um, Thank and you. Definitely touching on that, you know, the cultural humanity, like you saying, you were the only woman, the only person of color and the youngest yes. to claw yes. your way up from the bottom. And like, how, that is so incredibly important to, especially a lot of our listeners too, you know, like that are starting out in the field and they have a long way to go and it's hard and the, you know, it's grueling to like take this exam and pass your boards and just your message there to like say, you know, have that grit and determination, right? Like yeah. don't take shit from nobody and don't take no as a, a negative, like take no as like, oh, really? You're going to tell me no? Well, guess what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Casey, you know, people ask me all the time and, you know, I do a lot of keynote speeches and, and I do a lot of interviews and stuff. And they always ask me, you know, what's the secret, right? Mm -hmm. What's the secret? How did you get from there? Essentially, literally a nobody. I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of like, I don't like to think that I'm really anybody, but but how did you get from really a nobody to break into investment banking, break into management consulting, break into the UN, succeed in an even more patriarchal society like in the Middle East and the comeback? And now I manage global markets, the Schreiner Institute, I manage Americas, I look after the Middle East and North Africa uh, and our Dubai office there, and I look after Asia Pacific too. And how did you do it? And I said that, you know, there really is a few things, you know, and, and it's, 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 it's number one as women. And then I hate talking about, you know, the glass ceiling and this and that. And I just, I hate talking about this empower women thing. We don't need to be empowered. We are powerful, right? I don't need to be empowered. I am plenty powerful myself, but the, yes, the, the you are. Yes, yes, you are. You know, we are plenty powerful ourselves, right? The things that women can do right? It's, it's incredible, right? I'm plenty powerful myself. I don't need to be empowered. What I need to remember, though, is that this is not a world that was built by women. So there are obstacles and challenges in place that I'm going to have to overcome, right? So how do you overcome that? Number one is pure determination, right? Pure determination. I have a target. I will achieve it. I don't care how long it takes, how many times I fall down, I will get back up. And that's really what divides, you know, what separates the, the, those that succeed and those that don't, you know, and the next, the next thing is, and, and I tell this to everybody, right? You need to prove your competence. So people don't have to like me. There are plenty of people that don't like me, which I know is shocking. How could anybody not like me? I'm so great and amazing. About. I'm literally know, petrified so, of you. I'm sitting here in silence. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm kidding. But you, you, you know, you, you don't have to like me. You don't have to, you, you don't have to like that I'm in a position where I am. You know, I was the youngest. I was the only woman. I was the only person of color. But how do you command respect. How do you command people's attention? And this is really my one life motto that I live by. And it's, you have to be so good that they can't ignore you. They can't <laughs> ignore you, right? Be so good. No more. Be better than. Have all the answers. Work harder than, right? They can't ignore you. They have to because you are the only one that can get this job done. And that's how you get ahead. Competence. Yes. 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 I'm feeling empowered from that. There's a just, few things. Oh, but I, I want to say something because, you know, you say this as a female and, and I, I actually like am in huge agreement about, I don't think as a female, like I, we need to play like victim in terms of like, well, we're like, you know, like we want to be treated the same. Like, you know what? Like, we just need to keep showing up and doing badass things. And exactly. that's my thing. It's like, if we like live in this, like, well, you know, we're given less, we're this, we're that, like, dude, we got to break that somewhere. Like we don't have time to be complaining about it. Like we got to just be like showing up every day, being again, a badass bitch and keep going. But aside from that, what I wanted to tell you is 
you know, we just said like lightly, like, oh, you worked in a place where you were a bitch's bitch. People are going to really have to understand the bitch, like stimulus discrimination, the way we're using it in some context versus other, you know? Yeah. Um, but a bitch is bitch. Like, I know, like right now, my brother-in-law who was in private equity um, and along with um, investment banking and my friend who's now um, in law, like in one of these huge firms and literally is like, I'm willing to go from making $200,000 a year to making 50,000. I'm so abused. Like this is yeah. what happens in all these corporate places. And and he's a male. And, and yeah. I'm just saying like, so I'm assuming the abuse you went through was real. Like in the corporate America, they do not mess around <laughs> with how they treat people. No. Absolutely. And you know what? It's, it's, it's bad enough for men. And that's considering that finance and wall street and corporate America is an old boys club, right? So that's for the people that are already on the inside. For people like me that are on the outside, right? I'm a woman. I don't have an automatic pass or privilege into this old boys club. But, you know, I come from, from a family of immigrants, right? My family immigrated to this country, you know, several generations ago. And exactly what you said about the victim mentality, Liat, is so important because, you know, my father... He told me, he said, Sabine, you can either cry about the system from the outside and sit it out, but the only real way to change it is from within it, right? You have to infiltrate it and rise through it until you get to a position where you can change it. So to give you an idea, my mom is one of 10, my dad is one of 10, right? My grandparents immigrated to this country you know, 60 years ago. And they all came here, my uncles, my parents, they came here, they didn't speak English, they were super young, some of them weren't born yet, right? And they did odd jobs, right? They came to this country, processed their immigration, spent like 20 people, you know, in, in a studio. And they put themselves through high school, through college, through middle school, they were waiters, they worked odd jobs, they worked in the service industry. And they always tell me, they say, you know, these people, they used to spit on us. And you know what we did? We just kept going. And today they are directors of hospitals, chiefs of surgeries. They have their names on plaques, on buildings on Fifth Avenue. And yes. the people that used to, yeah, the people that used to spit on them now come to them to save their life, right? Yeah. So this is how you work the system, right? It's designed against you. So you could cry about it or you can find ways to fix it, but it's only going to fix itself for you if you are an active participant. That's it. It's nobody's going to give you anything. No, they're not. And I love, there's some things that you had said that I had written down. I'm just reading through my outline. <laughs> this is some quotes from Zabine. You don't have to help me, but you better not hinder me. <laughs> I, yeah. like, I love that because yeah. that's big. Um, and waging war against people who stand in your way, right? And like waging yeah. war with a smile. And that's yeah. what you do, I think, all day. And I think getting into a little bit more about what you do every day, um, one of your videos I was watching, you had talked about, you know, how dealing with Americans in like a hostage, uh, not a hostage, but in a negotiation situation, you were saying, you know, you need to know clear target behaviors, clear goals, like when to deliver the demand, how to de-escalate and how to escalate. Is that something you yeah. can like talk a little bit about further? Yeah. So as an institute, you know, we, we teach and we train and our entire management consulting practice and our deal advisory practices built around the Schraner concept of negotiations, right? So as an institute, what do we do? We do executive education. We train C-level executives, Fortune 500 companies, governments, unions. We teach them how to negotiate, not the everyday negotiations, because people are good at that inherently. We teach them how to negotiate that last 5% of the most difficult negotiations where people don't care about the relationship. They're making irrational demands. There's no transparency. They're applying pressure. They're using tactics. It doesn't seem logical. Um, they're extremely structured and they seem to be playing by some game that you maybe don't know the rules of. How do you negotiate in those situations? So in terms of the Schwanner concept, right? What we teach is that, listen, 
in today's day and age and in the way the business world is, it's simply not an option to avoid conflict, right? It's not an option to avoid conflict. By nature, people don't like conflict. We do everything in our power to avoid it. But in business, the way this manifests itself, if you ignore conflict or avoid conflict, is that you end up conceding things. You end up giving away things. You end up weakening your position, right? Conflict is good because conflict highlights where the challenges are that you need to overcome in order to come to an agreement. And in our day-to-day -day practice, you know, we've been doing this for 30 years as an institute. You know, we started in a, in a small, we, we, our company started in a small village in Germany, right, where our founder uh, was from. And today we're a global firm in, in every continent, in every country, advising every Fortune 500 company and government because what we do works and what we're teaching them is listen, don't be afraid to address the difficult issues. Don't be afraid to address the conflict. Conflict is good, right? You can't, as a business person and a business, afford to hide or put your head in the sand when challenges come up, right? Because that's, that's what causes giants to fall. Like we look at BlackBerry, we look at Xerox, we look at Kodak, we look at these big- Oh my God, BlackBerry, what a throwback. Yes. Did you ever think that BlackBerry would fall as far as it had? BlackBerry was at the top of the world, right? Oh my God, the like Blackberry, sending your BBM yeah. code? Sorry, I'm just getting excited Absolutely. about the whole BlackBerry thing. Yes. Missed that. We, we all had Blackberries, right? But BlackBerry missed the boat, right? Afraid of change, afraid of conflict, unable to respond with any kind of speed or agility um, or innovation. That's what happened. It could be you. If it could be them, it could certainly be you. And what we do is make sure that it's not. And that's what we do as an institute. So on a very much small, 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 minuscule. Can we hire you on? Would you, would you think about us? We don't have the same money, but, but under a microscope, tiny like a placebo that we are as our company. Um, it's very, I just like love um, what you're talking about because we've come now that we've kind of been growing with our companies and um, I am head in the sand conflict. Nope, thank you. I will just uh, like, and you've empowered me a lot to be like, no, conflict is good. And it's okay to address that invisible conflict, that elephant in the room, yeah. like whatever it may be. Um, I think that's such a great thing for even our listeners who are, you know, going in to negotiate their salaries. Now they're BCBAs, right? Like whatever it may yeah. be, like you, you deserve that. And Liat has actually taught me that. Like I saw myself short all the time. She's like, why do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I came from a poor family and I just think I, I'm worth nothing. And it's, <laughs> she's like, you have something valuable to offer and you need to go in. And when we talk to you, Zabine, I'm so happy that you're here talking about this. Um, you really empowered me too. Yeah. You know, conflict, conflict has some kind of negative connotation there's nothing. If you look at the definition of conflict, it has nothing negative about it. Like people have associated conflict with war and aggression. War is not conflict. War is the agenda to create negative conflict. But war itself is not conflict. Conflict is simply a, a difference in, in perspective. That's it. Mm -hmm. Liat, I want to take I want to go out to lunch with you. I'm, I want to eat Italian, right? Liat goes, I'm not feeling Italian. I'm feeling sushi. That's conflict. Very benign, right? Nothing aggressive here, right? If I don't address this conflict with Liat and I don't ask her, you know, about her sushi, I don't ask her or find out about what she wants to eat. And I just hear that Liat doesn't want to eat Italian. I'm going to start offering her every single other thing because my end goal is to get her to come to lunch with me right i'll tell her i'll pick her up Liat, i'll pick you up i'll drop you off Liat, i'll pay for your bill Liat, i'll do this i'll do that i'm giving away everything except addressing the fact that she doesn't want to eat italian except for right? addressing the fact that you didn't know that i'm kosher and i would say there's nothing i could eat at an italian restaurant i could eat vegetarian at a sushi place so like so you missed the point right Right. So when you don't address the conflict, when you don't address the challenge, you will do everything to get rid of it, which essentially translates to in the business world, 
giving massive concessions, giving away huge discounts instead of addressing just the one thing you needed to address because you were afraid. You know, conflict is your friend. If you don't know what the challenge is, if I don't know why Liat doesn't want to eat Italian, I can't overcome it to come to an agreement to bring Liat to lunch with me. It's a very simple example, right? Sabine, I literally feel like you are personally attacking me. I feel like you are personally attacking me because I feel like this is so right. You are like touching my soul. She just, Liat, so I think we've been going through a lot too with the business and uh, not the podcast business, but like all of it all together. And um, she just kind of like touched her heart. I don't know if you can see her through the screen, but touched her heart and was like, oh my God, she's speaking to me because she's like the head of it and deals with a lot of conflict and it's hard for her. She weighs everything so heavily and like needs to learn, literally have you in her back pocket all the time. (laughs) I take on everyone's emotions. I like, I take on everyone's emotions. I'm like, oh my God, but if I say this to this person, they're going to be so hurt. And, and like, I, it's almost like I know like, I, I don't have any boundaries. Like, I know too much about someone. Like, I'll be like, oh, but I know their financial situation. Or I, or I know, like, they're really struggling with their husband and this and that. So, like, I can't make these decisions for, like, what's going to effectively run a business. It's like, yeah, that's a problem, right? No, it's, it, it, it's, listen, and now I'm going to channel the cold-hearted bitch, right? You run a business. <laughs> you run a business, not a charity, right? There is a level of support that you can provide your clients, your customers, your partners. But in order for you to continue to be able to provide that support, you also need to be profitable and operational as a business, right? There is a limit to how much you can do, right? As, as a business in terms of going out of your way and doing things for free or ignoring, you know, a good business decisions. Now, emotions are a part of business, right? It's a part of people. We can't get rid of emotions. People always talk about remove the emotion. You can't do it. You're people, right? We are not, we are not robots, right? This is what differentiates us. Emotions are there. A good negotiator, a good business person is able to control the emotions to make the best decisions for them and for the business. That's what the difference is. I love you. I want to help you and we're going to do everything that we can, but this is what you need to do for us. Establish that this is a partnership. It's not a one way, take, 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 take relationship. (laughs) That's me hyperventilating. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. No, this is great. Um, So I want to get into a little bit, um, I know as we're rambling on here, but it's all good things. Um, I want to touch a bit on your conference that you're putting on in June, which I'm so excited about. And something that you talk about, you can go into it a little bit more. I don't want you to like divulge everything on this podcast, but maybe a couple of them. But you, I was reading on it and it, you know, you say you negotiate every day, like we do with our husbands, our kids, and then that 5% for business, right? That we don't know how to do. Um, mm-hmm. And you talk about, I was reading the seven principles for every difficult negotiation, right? Like you're going to like learn that at this conference. And I didn't know if you wanted to just touch on it, like a little bit about what that conference is going to be like and yeah. um, what you can expect. And what are those, like maybe a couple of the principles. I, I didn't know. Share. I didn't, I didn't know. Maybe you want to invite us. I mean, maybe we can negotiate something. Maybe you want to come. I mean, I, I mean, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. So absolutely, you guys are invited. No negotiation needed, right? So you guys are invited. It would be our pleasure to have you and to everybody that's listening. It's, it's an invitation to all of you. The conference, um, it's our first Women Negotiators Conference. It's going to be held in New York City on June 15th, 2020. Um, and the, the, the Women Negotiators Conference, it's called I Do It My Way. And the theme this year is no excuses. And to give you an idea of of, um, what you can expect to come at this event, it's going to be 120 female leaders of industry, decision makers, movers and shakers, market movers, people that are at the top of their field, um, thought leaders, scholars, people that have really overcome, number one, insurmountable challenges to get where they are, but have really also pioneered and shaped their individual industries and it's not a conference about empowering and uplifting and hurrah and you know pat people on the back it's not about that 
I'm very, very particular, and my events team also is very, very particular that we want everyone that comes to this conference to get two things out of it. Number one, access to new opportunities. Not just networking, direct access to new opportunities, because I firmly believe it's not about empowering, it's about opening doors for each other. And men are team players, right? But women, I have found over the course of my life and career, less so. And it's not because women are caddy or women are self-centered and not team players. It's not about that. And I thought about this for many years. Why are women sometimes women's worst enemy? You know, sometimes you think back that women are the biggest misogynist, right? It's, it's, not, it's not out of malice. It's because of survival. They have had to fight and climb um, to, to get to every single level that they that they have reached. So oftentimes they will feel that any kind of rising star might be a threat because there is so little room for women at the table. But I always say that we need to change this mentality. If you are as good as you think you are, then uplifting the people around you and giving them a leg up is only going to make you better, not less. So the first thing in this conference, it's about opening doors and accessing new opportunities. Um, and the second thing is learning. So, you know, you go to a lot of women's conference. I've been to like five in my whole life after which I swore them off forever. I promise I will never go. It was so nauseating. I just, I couldn't deal with it. I was just rolling my eyes the entire time I was there. I hated it. Um, but, but I promised myself that the women that were going to come as speakers, right? They were going to tell their stories. They were going to be inspirational, but they were also at the end of every talk that they gave or every panel that they sat on, they were going to give the audience at least three learnings, insights, key things that you can write down and say, you know what, this is something that I can do. And you're going to go back to your desk the next day and you're going to start working on those things. They're going to give you goal. real, clear, actionable things that you can do, goals for you, targets. It's not, you know, an academic or a philosopher from an ivory tower talking down upon you with fairy tales that you go back and you're like, that was great, but I don't know how any of this is going to apply to my day to day. That's not what we want. It's practical. It's learning. It's networking. It's access. Um, and that's on June 15th in New York City, the I Do It My Way uh, Women Negotiators Conference. So everybody's invited. Yep. And we'd love to see everyone there. We'll put, we'll, we'll the, put the link in the show notes, definitely. And I, I think it's interesting, actually, what you just said, just tying in a little behavior analytic principles, you know, being conceptually systematic and all. You're saying how, like, you know, women have this um like maybe there's a little bit of a history or it's happened in the past that like women are not supporting each other in the workplace um mm -hmm. which obviously we need to change and we need to act all the time how we would when we're drunk in a bathroom at a bar complimenting another girl in the bathroom like you look <laughs> so cute we should do that all the time but like sound cool doing it you know not like eh, you just look so cute like say like i like your brain you know you don't only compliment an outfit but anyways what i was saying is before i went off track is Essentially, the reason women have behaved this way, what you're saying, and I'm just putting it for our learners and our behavioral terms are no behavior happens out of nowhere, right? Like it's not, there's determinism there and lawfulness, but right? Like people, there was limited opportunity, right? That is the motivating yeah. operation. Therefore, making it more valuable to get these different positions as like the reinforcer we're speaking of. So it evoked behaviors to make sure no one else took your spot, which is essentially, yeah. I mean, if we go back and I won't go too like behavior nerdy here, but you know, it's, it's a survival instinct, like selectionism, right? Like if I want to survive yeah. here, I have got to mark my territory. Um, but I think that again, the only way to change this as opposed to, you know, falling victim to it is, and I know very much so with study notes, ABA, like our businesses and behavior bitches, we try and empower other people too. Like that, you know, go for it. There's enough opportunity out here. And I think we're in a, we're very blessed where we live that we do have so much opportunity that there's enough yeah. to go around. 
Yeah, and I think you have an obligation that as a woman at least, or any person of, of a protected class or an underprivileged group, I think there's an obligation that when you get to a position where you yield, uh, where you wield influence, right, that you wield that influence in a way that opens doors for others that wouldn't necessarily have access. And, it, and over here, I don't mean that, you know, it's for somebody less qualified and just because they're a woman or just because they're a person of color and but they're less qualified, I'll hire them anyway. No, I'm, I don't care about that, right? At the end of the day, I still care about your competence. You add value to my business. Are you a good fit? But I will always open the door uh, for opportunities for people that would otherwise not have those doors open. And I feel that I have a moral obligation, but also a business obligation because we talk about, and you know, we talked about this on, on our Schreiner podcast actually uh, last week. Um, and, you know, people always talk about diversity. Yeah, diversity is good for business, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, it's great from a moral and ethical standpoint, but diversity is also critical for a business in terms of profit and profitability and innovation, right? The only way that your business is really going to expand and innovate and grow and scale and be able to compete in the market is if you have a diversity of thought and background and experience and perspective. Otherwise, everybody thinks the same thing, believes the same thing, approaches problems the same way. You cannot sustain a competitive advantage that way. You can't continue to innovate that way. So diversity, it's great from a moral and ethical and social justice perspective, yeah, but if that doesn't sway you, what should sway you is the fact that diversity is actually good for your bottom line in your business. Absolutely. I love that. Okay, so now, and I'm just feeling like, I'm like, I keep touching my heart and then Casey's not looking at me in the camera, but I keep like being like, me and you, we're perfect for each other. We're, we're so different. <laughs> I'm like pointing at her like, me and you, baby, me, you, you, me. Um, <laughs> I know it's creepy, right? Um, but I, what I want to talk about is what what could you say makes a good negotiator, or what are the tactics? Yeah. Like, give us what what, what what behaviors can someone engage in to be a good negotiator? So this is a question I get asked all the time, and I personally train thousands and thousands of people every year, and every single workshop and training. I get asked this question, what makes a good negotiator? Is there a personality profile? And the answer is no, right? The answer is no. There is no personality profile. You don't have to be um, extroverted. You don't have to be introverted. There is, no, there is no standard profile. But how do I know if somebody is a good negotiator or not? There are things that I looked for, right? Um, and these are the characteristics. Number one, um, they don't have an ego, not at the table, okay? And this is something that I learned very, very quickly. Um, you can think I'm stupid. You can think I'm naive. You can think I'm young. You can think I'm incompetent. You can think whatever you want about me. You don't have to like me. You don't even have to respect me, but you have to negotiate with me, okay? And I can't be sitting at the table getting my pride pricked because then I'm not negotiating. I'm having emotional responses. I'm focusing on right and wrong. Who's better? Who's smarter? Who's more experienced? Do I talk about my doctorate? Do I talk about my 20 years of experience? It doesn't matter. My goal is not to prove anything at the table. My goal is to come to an agreement. So number one, I always say you can't have an ego not at the table. Okay. The second thing is this person has to be resilient. You have to be able to um, be flexible and overcome roadblocks that are thrown at you at the table and you have to rebound quickly, seamlessly, right? Resilient, that no matter what, no matter how hard it gets, you continue. You continue, you adapt, you evolve. Which brings me to the third point, which is that you have to be disciplined, right? you know that you want to reach across the table and this person is being a real jerk and you want to wipe that smug look off his face. But <laughs> I, can, instead, I can see you doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but instead of doing that, I have to control myself and say, this is the plan. I'm sticking to my plan, right? I have self-control, self-control and discipline. And those are the things that I look at. Everything else can be taught. 
skills, tactical use, right? Strategies, these can be taught, these can be learned, but these types of attitudes, these are what I look for um, because that is what really differentiates a really great negotiator from somebody that's just a practitioner. Wow. And so when you go into these, you're, okay, so you said you'll work with big companies for like a final negotiation. We're talking, we're probably not talking about a $10 negotiation, I'm assuming, right? Is it over $10? It, yes, a little, <laughs> a little over $10. <laughs> right. So let's say you're fighting for that final $11 for a company. And are you going in or are you? By $11, I mean like 11 billion, but are you going in and doing this arguing for them or are you training them how to so, go through this? Yeah, so that's a good question. So what we do is a number of things. We train teams, right? Um, we train entire organizations. We, we train them in their deal-making capabilities, their negotiation capabilities. We create internal negotiation infrastructure for these companies, playbooks, strategies, and these are very large management consulting um, and, and organizational transformation initiatives that our consultants and, and our teams, we work on. Um, when it comes to our deal advisory division, um, if somebody was to come to us and say, Zabine, we're working on a really big deal, we need your support, that is absolutely something that we do. Um, but it's not necessarily sitting at the table per se, it's more, as it's more a case specific um, guidance and guidelines that we provide because you know we want to make sure that you are empowered at the table you have what we call license to negotiate at the table and they don't feel that you had to bring in a third party um, to negotiate on your behalf because you're too weak or too um, cowardly or, or not feeling strong or confident enough to do it yourself so in terms of the specific deal cases, we work with our partners, we work with our, um, our, our, our partner companies, and, and I can't go too much into it, but we support them at every single step of the way to help them, especially in very critical situations when you're talking about governments or unions or, or situations with mergers and acquisitions where jobs are on the line, even livelihoods are on the line. Um, and they just need that extra support. And of course, that's when we come in and, and, and we, we do help. So the reinforcers come in and kick ass, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So what I'm one, but what I thought was interesting, what you said last time, you had said, or by last time, I mean on our phone call we had before, um, you had said that a lot of it is like, and you just said it right now, also, and I'm tying this to behavior for anyone listening who's listening to, you know, increase their operational behavioral understanding of things. Um, Wait, that was wrong what I just said. I meant, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Conceptually systematic, tying it in. So it seems like you're doing some sort of behavior skills training for these people to be able to go in and do this on their own. Initially, like you're not doing the fishing for them, you're training the man to fish. Correct. Um, so it's, it's kind of behavior skills, but it's, it's teaching them to be tactical, right? Um, many times, we don't know how to respond. We don't know how to maneuver the negotiations. We don't know that there is a framework, a process. When you talk about sales or selling, there's sales processes and people have been talking about the sales approach for decades, right? Um, but negotiations is something that historically people didn't understand was different than selling. And they didn't understand that there was an approach or a framework. So a lot of our emotional outbursts and a lot of our emotional reactions and our fear and our anxiety and our nerves um, and, and the mistakes and missteps that we make in a negotiation are, are bred from uncertainty of what to expect. But, you know, with, with our concept and the Schreiner concept, we create a framework so that you understand, okay, this is exactly what's going to happen. This is what you can expect. And it's always you know, always par for the course. And we teach you the tactics. We teach you what to expect. We teach you, um, you know, we don't react, we act, right? And we teach you the tools and the skills and the tool and, and the tactics and the strategies to help you navigate every roadblock that's thrown at you, every irrational demand that's put on the table, every illogical um, or difficult 
situation that you could encounter. So you don't have to respond or react from a position of emotion because you know what you have to do. You've been expecting this and you have the tools to address them. What, what's interesting, it sounds very similar in, in a sense to, you know, it, it ties in behaviorally with what we do because the same thing, okay, what you're doing, and let's say we're going to work with a family who has a child with behavioral issues, okay, difficulties. We let them know ahead of time, like, hey, this is how you're going to deal with it. I want you to expect that it's going to, the behavior is going to escalate and increase before it, you know, before it gets better. These are the things you might see. And this is how to deal if you're dealt with situation A, this is what you'll do. If you have situation B, this is the protocol you'll use. So it, it, it seems in a sense, you know, similar to providing this training of how to respond to and letting someone know what to expect, you know? Yeah. We see that a lot when we're, we're using a protocol we call extinction. We tell parents like you cannot reinforce that behavior anymore. Like do not give them attention when they drop on the floor crying. And then at first the parent starts doing it and the behavior gets much worse because the kid's like, hey, wait, why aren't you looking at me? And so they're like, well, now I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to act even worse. So we kind of have to let parents know in advance, like, no, this is going to happen, but you've got to stick to your bottom line here. Absolutely. And, and managing expectations, right? A lot of the fear of the uncertain is you don't know what's going to happen. So you don't feel like you can prepare for that. But, you know, what we always teach and in the Schraner concept, it's really telling them, you know, you do know what to expect. We teach you what to expect and we'll tell you how to handle every single situation because, you know, it, these types of negotiation in the business world, we are corporate negotiators. We're not hostage negotiators. We're not law enforcement negotiators, right? There are a lot of, you know, people out there that teach the law enforcement and the hostage negotiation principles, and, and they're great, right, and, and really interesting. But how do you bridge that into the business world? And the Schreiner concept is the only concept in the world that does that, right? Like, like, how can you, you know, we talk about past indicators of behavior, yes. right? Past behavior is an indicator of future behavior. A lot of people will say this in psychology. And I think we were talking about this the last mm -hmm. time we spoke. Yeah, That's we not the case. That's not the case in business. Right. Every discussion, every negotiation is a new negotiation. So and the example I always give is if you're a day trader, for example, the business decision that you're going to make at 9.01 a.m. when the market opens about whether to buy or sell a stock is going to be a different business decision that you make at 9.02 a.m. just one minute later because the market is constantly changing. Things are changing. So I always say don't look back. Look forward. You can't change the past. And what has happened in the past is no guarantee going to be replicated in the future. The market, the demands, the, the customer, the requirements, the conditions, the environment, this is constantly evolving. It's so dynamic. It's a disservice to you and to your business to hold on to things that have happened into the past to think that this is what's going to happen in the future. So every negotiation is a new negotiation. Look forward, not backwards. That's exactly what we talk about when we talk about motivating operations. It's in the moment. Everything changes. At 9.01, I could want waffles. At 9.02, I could eat waffles. At 9.03, if you offered me waffles, I don't fucking want waffles, right? Like, yeah. I'm in an abolishing state at that point. Like, I don't want it. That day trader, whoever you're talking about, they, didn't, they don't want that stock at 9.03. You always need to pay attention to what's happening in the moment for your client, for your clients, for our clients, for whatever it may be. And just to give you guys a relatable example of motivating operations in real life, I know I'm talking about the coronavirus a lot, but right now the stocks that I wanted to buy, let's say a month and a half ago, that were highly valuable. I'm like, everyone's about to go on spring break. Delta sounds cool. Let me invest in Delta and some travel cool things, right? Now I'm like, uh-uh, I wanna only invest in online um, platforms. Right. Because this is always changing in business. That MO is always changing. So I think that's really fascinating that you're giving strategies that could generalize, you know, for different things that might come up because each situation is going to be different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, also every situation is going to be different in, in, in the sense that people that are involved and the business requirements are going to be different. But in the same vein, 
people are essentially the same, right? So mm-hmm. people are essentially going to, uh, across the board, behave and respond and, and utilize tactics that fall under the same kind of um, umbrella of categories. So it's always, again, understanding that there is a framework. There is a typical. There is or, a function or, or, of behavior, guys, always uh, for everyone. Correct. So, so there is a, you know, these, these situations and scenarios can be categorized, but what you need to do is you need to be prepared to be flexible and have a toolkit that allows you to meet each scenario as they evolve or as they become fluid. Beautiful. You couldn't have said it better. And wow. sign up for study notes, ABA, and we'll give you that toolkit. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Self-promotion. Push. So- as we wrap up, and thank you so much for coming on, um, I wanted to also mention that um, Zabine I'm looking has- for new best friends. Zabine, if you want to be one, I wanted to mention that. Done. Looking- done. I'm looking- 41 and done. 41 and 41 done. 41 and done. That's guys, our rhyme today. She came up with it. That's how great she is. But I want to talk about, she just came out with a podcast, guys. It's called Deadlock, and it is awesome. I listened to the first episode. I would highly suggest going to listen to that as well. Um, It's the only podcast that is really dedicated to like current events and cutting edge practice in the world of deal making, decision making and negotiations. And um, if you're into it, like we're into it, um, all the behavior principles that go into all of it. And Zabine is meant to be on a podcast. So I'm so happy that she did this. Um, And I'm so happy that you came on our podcast too, right? As yours was launching, this is a great relationship building. And I think our listeners are really going to love all your light bulb moments and all your, um, you know, just your, your experience, who you are. And it, it was a great episode. It's, it's my pleasure, guys. And the, and the work that you guys are doing is so important. And the reason you guys are as successful as you are and, and, and doing the, as important work as you are is because you're really, you know, I, I talked about so much just earlier, access, right? Access mm-hmm. to, to information and really disseminating maybe some very complex ideas and tools and, and concepts to a greater uh, audience and, and allowing them the opportunity to engage with you in, in a field that maybe they have, they know nothing about, or, or they feel a little intimidated by. And I think that's our responsibility as people in a position that can do that. I think that's what makes your podcast so amazing. Um, that's absolutely something that we do on the deadlock podcast as well to really talk about, you know, some of the really complex issues of our time to be real about it, to be honest about it, to be transparent about it. And then to help you understand how you can overcome it. And I think that's our responsibility as people um, in a position to do that, to do that for other people. So amazing job that you guys are doing. I'm so honored and so privileged that you guys brought me on. And um, thank you so much. We are so honored and privileged. Just so you know, we are like over the moon. Our smiles are huge. We are so happy that you came on and that we formed this relationship. And I can't wait to see you at the conference because I am coming. Absolutely. And I, I am immunodeficient. And and I can't and I and, and I can't wait to text you all of my problems. I'm sure you're waiting for that. <laughs> anytime, anytime. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, ladies. All right. Thank you so Be much. Be careful Jabine. what you say, okay? <laughs> I will. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. As always. Thanks so much, guys. It's been amazing. And Casey, stop trying to take my spot. As always, love you. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. 
Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 